Sounds nice. Hello, everybody. Sean Harwell. You're listening to the Never Heard of a Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies that slipped through our cracks. Once again, I'm joined today by the man uh, who's right behind me with a microphone and a weapon. And I'm scared, but say your name. Preg, uh, Beans, Brains, Brawn, and Bowels, Moorhead. Yeah. That sounds like a little messy. Yeah. Yeah, and not not an easy nickname to get or to say. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Uh, I'm not going to ask how you earned that one, but no. I think I have an idea. Self-explanatory. Craig, how are you, aside from uh, the ill-fitting nickname? I'm doing great. Sean, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. It's crazy weather here in North Carolina, as mm-hmm. usual, this time of year. Uh, it was, you know, I think, 65 yesterday. Snow today, because that makes sense. And I think maybe... You're actually not literally right behind me, thankfully, Mm-mm. I think. No. And probably been about the same in D.C. Yes. Maybe we can uh, wrap up that weather podcast and hope that by the time this airs, it'll just be nice and spring-like. That would be a gift. So let's move on and talk about the gift that was Richard Nixon and, <laughs> if nothing else, the movie that he inspired, which is Secret Honor, directed by Robert Altman, that we teed up last week that you mm-hmm. picked for this month of March, falling on the anniversary here, close to his resignation of the presidency over the Watergate scandal. And as we mentioned last time, this is a one-man show with Philip Baker Hall as the only other physical presence in this movie. There's a couple portraits of other presidents Mm -hmm. that make an appearance. But uh, no other speaking lines, nothing. Nobody, nobody at all. And uh, not even a background extra, I don't think. So, uh, yeah, this is a, a different movie than we've done before, and I'm interested to talk about it with you today, Craig. Mm. And I'm interested to talk with you about it, Sean, and, and uh, I like to talk with you about movies all the time. Uh, do, that's kind of what this podcast is about. And uh, if, if you, the listener, like to uh, think and talk about movies... You can find us on Facebook. You can find us at neverpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter. You can you can contact us. You can literally say whatever you want. It's like a First Amendment type deal. Yeah. Uh, we're doing a suggestion next month. Excited about that. We'll, we'll get into that next week when we tee it on up. Mm. But yeah, please come say hello. Yes, please do. Now, Sean, before we jump into, jump into, this, into, this, into this, I would like to ask you, what have you been watching this week? Well... I've had a somewhat busy two weeks here of movie watching, I'm happy to say. I finished, nice. I'm trying to remember what I said last time, so I know I mentioned I was watching Dune, and I finished it. Yeah. And my book report on what it's all about is, it's in progress, so I'll get that to you, uh, just, you know, just down the line sometime. And, but I did enjoy it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's crazy, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, but an enjoyable kind of crazy, I think. And uh, mm. let's see here, Craig. Also powered through three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I oh, rewatched yeah. Gattaca for the first time in quite some time. Oh, and I watched a uh, Claire Denis movie called White Material from 2009. She is the French director that we mentioned in our Medicine for Melancholy episode. I think uh, Barry Jenkins is a very big fan. And that movie is kind of interesting, Craig, because... It, in some ways, serves as an interesting double feature, if you will, to Out of Africa, of all things. <laughs> uh, it's about really? a woman. Yeah, it's about a woman played by uh, Isabel Huppert, uh, who is uh, taking care of a coffee plantation in Africa in the middle of a civil war. And it is very dark and very powerful and pretty scary here and there. And is a good, wow. uh, I think, maybe a better indication of, of what life might be like than perhaps out of Africa was. But, again, enjoyed part of that. And let's see. I think that's about it. Have you seen Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri yet, Greg? I have seen it, yes. What did you think of that movie? Man, there's a lot that I like about it. Yeah, right? There's a lot that I like about it. And a little bit you don't? It, it was a tough one. It was a tough one. Well, I mean, you know, a part of me was going in. I don't know if you have this problem, but, like... I kind of have this like movie fan latency thing where 
where just an actor can kind of carry over so much goodwill from another movie that I'm like, so Francis McDormand is in this and I can't get the movie Fargo out of my head. Now this yeah. has like nothing to almost to do with Fargo except that it has a dark sense right. of humor. But like, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I liked her performance a lot. I like, I like a lot of the way so much of it develops. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll just say like, I do understand the, the sort of controversy about it. Yeah. Like I get it. I get that. I don't know. I'm a little torn. What about you? Kind of the same. I think it's one of those movies that I'll I'll watch again uh, sometime down the line and give it like a year or yeah. so and revisit yeah. it and you know get away from all the Oscar buzz and hype and everything about it and yeah I, I you know I was coming in more as a fan of the writer director than anything else you know having having rewatched in Bruges and loving Seven Psychopaths I was really sure. excited about it and I think my t- my expectations had been tempered a little bit just by seeing some of the mixed you know, things about it. And, you know, that's kind of kind of the way I came. There's so much good about it. There's so much to enjoy. The dialogue crackles. Sam Rockwell's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, there's something going on in that last act that didn't quite leave me satisfied, though. That's one of those things that, like, yeah, I think once you know the end, then you go back and rewatch the movie and maybe it works better because you know that going into the whole thing. So we'll see. But, uh, yeah. yeah, that's about it for me this week. I did start... An interesting series on Netflix, the docu-series called, um, I think it's Wild Wild Country oh. from the Duplass brothers, or they're involved in some capacity, because of course they are. Um, well, yeah. But it is Most about, movies. yeah, exactly. I don't think they have a huge Netflix deal too, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, there's a, there were a group of people that uh, were followers of an Indian guru who set up a, um, a community, built a community entirely out of nothing in rural Oregon in uh, the late 70s, early 80s, and it's sort of about the clash between them and, and the locals, it appears, uh, two episodes in. It's really interesting. I don't, you know, it's one of these things where it's like six, seven years ago, this would just be a documentary movie. <laughs> and yeah. now it's like an eight episode or six episode, hour long episode thing, which I, I don't know, that might be more than I need, but we'll see, we'll see. But it's, it's very <laughs> yeah. good so far. Uh, what That's about cool. you? What did, what, did you, what did you get into? Movie-wise. Man, I watched a bunch of stuff this week, too. So I watched this movie, Good Time. I loved Good Time. Did you like it? Yeah, that was that was kind of a nice surprise. That was a, that's yeah. a neat... I mean, it's a small movie, but it seems extraordinarily hard to pull off. So hard, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Like, it, 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 it was, yeah, it was well done. Watched Moonraker for the oh, first wow. time. James Bond. Uh, first time ever? Pretty campy movie, yeah. No kidding, okay. Lady Bird, which I thought was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Wolverine, which I didn't think it was too bad. I, no one, I didn't feel like I ever heard anybody talk about that one very much. That's where yeah, him, he's in Japan and, uh-huh. and everything's just, you know, and then everything goes to hell. I guess that's the <laughs> kind of what it's happens of every yeah. time. But. And then we also watched, uh, we sat down with the kids and watched Dumbo, Sean. Ooh, I heard that's terrifying. I haven't seen that <sighs> since I was a kid. There are not good parts of Dumbo. Mm. I don't know if we'll ever be watching that one again. <laughs> Uh, it's a shame because there are parts that are just delightful yeah. kid movie stuff and then it goes racist real fast oh really jeez so beware of Dumbo if you're not if you have fond memories of it but you haven't seen it in about 40 years just put the brakes on it well I think they're doing a live action version of that if I'm not mistaken <laughs> which hopefully it'll be less less racist I'm a- <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, it, it would be hard to be as racist or more racist. I can say that, even okay. accidentally. Yeah. So I think they got their, they're in a good spot good, for good. the moment. Anyway, those were the movies I watched this week. All right, Craig, shall we get into the post-presidency life of one Richard Milhouse Nixon? Let's do that. What did you think of Secret Honor? I had seen this before, as I mentioned last time, and I, mm-hmm. I will start by saying I think it is a very different experience watching it a second time and also watching it after you. I've done a, a tiny bit of research on Nixon, as I mentioned, just by listening to another podcast. So mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear what you thought about it as a movie, which, again, this is going to be an interesting one for us to talk about just because there is no plot to speak of and there is one person and so right. we can talk about kind of like how that works just as a film experience and like sitting there and being entertained by those constraints and and what Altman did with that. And then, yeah, I don't know, just, uh, you know, we were kind of talking a little bit beforehand, just all the questions that this brings up about 
Nixon and the presidency and, and the history of it all. But yeah, why don't you just start with what you thought of it as a uh, simple little hour and a half movie? It was quite good. Um, it's it's a tough one to watch for the first time. It's a tough one to watch if you didn't live through Nixon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure it's a, you know you it's a, probably a tiny bit easier if you live through Nixon. Uh, just to just to catch the references with which come real fast and aren't really given much context Not at all yeah and probably a whole different experience if you watched it in 84 and things were a little fresher mm-hmm. but i mean that being said what little i know and i know very little <laughs> i mean i certainly knew enough to understand and and you know be there with this character right and for that, I'll say, I mean, I, I thought it was fantastic. Honestly, I, I, I couldn't take my eyes off Philip Baker Hall, which is probably good, because he's the only one there. Yeah. Well, I was going to say this. I mean, maybe we should just start there. I looked this up just to double check. Can, can you believe that that guy didn't get nominated for an Oscar for this? No. I don't think he got a no, I, I, anything. No, that doesn't make any sense. Not so, at all. wait, do you have the nominees? In front of you by any chance? I don't. I'll look them up here in a second. But, yeah, it's amazing. And I wonder if it's just one of these things where the times have changed. And Mm -hmm. a movie this small today, you still have the powerful word of mouth of the internet and film festivals and DVD screeners and all that crap. Versus, you know, 84 it played in New York and LA and like, that's it. And was gone. You yeah. know, I, I just wonder how many people in the Academy actually saw this damn thing. You know, that happens all the time. Now I feel like roles that people get nominated for movies that have like no wide mainstream appeal whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But people acknowledge that the performance was great. And like in this case, yeah, he's, he's riveting. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's really, really good. Yeah. Now, so what what did this do for you as far as a uh, an uneducated American uh, want to be historian? And that that is what I want to be exactly right. Um, Wouldn't it be awesome? Yeah. Uh, well, it's you know it's kind of like I, I feel like at least someone anyone who's my age or around my age has at least a baseline understanding of Nixon, mm-hmm. which is he done bad stuff and he resigned. <laughs> yes. And he was kind of a kook. Like, and that's, you know, if that's all you know, then you can kind of get by with it, you know? So going in with that context and realizing that you're watching something that is fictionalized, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily trying to be an expose. I, as I understand yeah. it, it was, it was somewhat based on this report that, and I think he says it in the movie, that, that Nixon was, you know, in the, in the end days was kind of wandering around the White House drunk and like yelling at portraits on the wall and stuff like that. Right. Which I guess the thing I kept thinking about, because at first it feels like, oh, well, he's he's playing a crazy guy and he's yelling a lot and he doesn't finish any of his sentences. And it's really kind of hard to plug into that mm-hmm. until it kind of hits me. It's like, well, I feel like a lot of us have been somewhere in this neighborhood where <laughs> you are very upset about something. Yeah. And you're in your room. Maybe it's a study that's you know, paneled in wood and in a mansion. Looked very or maybe cozy, it's just it? in your basement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you're kind of just having an argument with nobody. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There was something really like he, you know, he, he kind of takes it to the, to a, an amazing degree where he's, he's tape recording himself and most of him talking, he's talking as if he's a lawyer for Richard Nixon. Yep. Uh, you know, my client did this, my client did that. Like he's rehashing some trial that never really took place, but that he wants to exactly, yep. Uh, you know, finally have his say, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it shoots all over the place. But but I guess that's the thing is like I was I was definitely able to key into that feeling. And so honestly, the more it went on, the more uh, I don't know, the more the more connected I felt to Richard Nixon. That, what about you? Uh, that is like precisely how I felt watching it the first time, and mm-hmm. this time. I don't know. There was something about the the way that they ease you into that that I kind of appreciated and found a little funny this time. Actually, you know, I yeah. mean, when he first starts trying to record, <laughs> that was great. It doesn't work. Like he can't <laughs> he can't figure yeah. out how to get the tape recorder to work. And he's like Roberto. You know, uh, he's like talking to an assistant, I assume, or somebody that yeah. uh, I don't know is going to go through this mad rambling of a tape and edit it. And, uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of funny this time and just sort of, like, eases you into it. And yet, I mean, the mood is definitely not 
comedic. You know, I think the score kind of sets the, the tone a lot. And then there's all those shots of just the video monitors, you know, and I think that's our mm-hmm. introduction to him is, you know, we start in this room and the camera's like, you know, panning and obviously, you know, it's Altman. So there's zooms in there. And, uh, you know, you're going from like a portrait of Washington and the fireplace to a microphone on the table. And then you see those four video monitors and you see Nixon kind of making his way into the room. And I think, let me see, I wrote it down here. Yeah, six minutes, 46 seconds before he says a word. And that's also a really interesting choice, too, because um, he's going to talk for, he doesn't stop talking as soon as, as, soon as yeah. you get to that point. So, you know, again, like watching it again, I was like, okay, I can appreciate this. Like, it's just setting the mood here. I'm going to give you six minutes to kind of get settled <laughs> in your seat mm-hmm. and figure out what you're going to, what you, what you're in here for. And, uh, yeah, I really appreciated that this go around. Uh, I think on the whole, some of those references, I mean, it's still like yeah, I found myself Googling afterwards, you know, the Committee of 100 mm-hmm. and the Bohemian Grove and, and a lot of these things. And even I was trying to remember how the title worked its way into this movie. And like that came up again. And, and just, I don't know, by the end of it, I felt like really sympathetic towards the dude. and And that's kind of weird too, because... Am I being sympathetic to Nixon or am I being sympathetic to this character? Because, again, they're not the same. And uh, that's a really interesting experience, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't feel like I felt that way watching Oliver Stone's movie about George W. Bush. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I felt that way watching Oliver Stone's movie about Nixon. I'm not picking on Oliver Stone. I love those movies, but yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. Terrible. No, but those are they're just different. Like there's something about, like you said, like just seeing the man by himself having this conversation, which is you know very much fueled by alcohol, but also fueled by never being able to defend himself. Yeah. And that's what the whole title is referring to, is the secret honor and the public shame that he feels like he took. And uh, all that stuff, I, I, I kind of love it. Yeah, I, I think this is a really cool movie. I mean, not only for just what it is, but for for what it's telling. I mean, like what it's saying about a guy who went through this. And yeah, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, I'm not sure how much guilt Nixon felt or what exactly is the truth there. But, um, boy, it does make you, you think about, or it did me anyway, about just like, Ah, the, the pressures of being in that situation mm-hmm. and the number of people that he no doubt had telling him what to do. And I certainly think he chose the wrong option in almost every instance, with the yeah. exception of resigning, based on what I know. But um, you can kind of see where it goes wrong or how it could go wrong. Yeah. You know, how anybody could, could make some really, really bad choices being in those positions of power. Yeah. You know, if nothing else like that, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to watch this, whether you know anything about Nixon or nothing about Nixon, I think. You know, as, as long as you're aware that we have a president, I think this movie will always be relevant. You know? Yeah, yeah. Your Honor, this young man, Richard Nixon, this boy from a poor family, boy who never had a break, who never had a chance, he was just overwhelmed by these big men on the Committee of 100. They showed him a vision of the riches and power of this world, and he drank their words and their visions. He, <laughs> he had a little sip of their whiskey, too. This poor boy who couldn't drink, didn't know how to drink because of his strict Quaker background. Just to get back to some of the technical stuff, I found myself, because of the movie, is so much dialogue. There were moments where I was a little less connected to what was being said than other moments, right? Mm-hmm. And so there were definitely times where I'm like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look for when he cuts." You know, I'm gonna look for those moments when you know they break from just the single shot. And it's not like a static shot usually; like he's moving around, the camera's moving again. Did you have a sense of like the filmmaking in this in this thing as you were watching it, or were you just sort of like? focused on performance and information here. No, I mean, I I was definitely thinking about the camera work a good bit. And really, mostly, I mean, it's very Altman-y. Yeah. You know, if that makes any sense. But but it 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 is. The slow zooms and the... I don't know. Very, very, very Robert Altman. But 
mostly I was um, really stuck on the TVs. Oh, and I know, right? When I wasn't, anytime I kind of popped out of the movie and I kind of wasn't like fully engaged, I was thinking about what what are these TVs really about? I mean, it's apparently supposed to be a security system, but early on he sets all of the TVs to show him. So the camera, one of the cameras, <laughs> one of these security system cameras is pointed at his desk at him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so then he'll have four of him. Sometimes he treats it almost like it's a jury and, and he's presenting stuff to it. Uh, you'll get these um, close-ups of the TVs and a lot of those close-ups end with him walking out of frame and then just holding on that while we listen to him talk. I didn't notice that. That's interesting, yeah. And there was more than one where... He would walk out of frame, and so the camera would sort of pan with his movement in the TV and then just pan over to the next TV, which would then be empty. You know, it's the exact same shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I feel like as the movie went on, there's a point where we we end up actually looking through the camera. He's like off in the background blurry, and we're looking at the image on the camera of him. Yeah. Uh, and I think it after that, it becomes much more heavily, or, or at least for a span there, it's it's really focused on the TVs. I'm going to be very frustrating and say that I won't really have any theories necessarily about what we're saying there. I kept thinking about how, you know, it seemed like TV was kind of Nixon's enemy. Yeah. You know, certainly when Kennedy was, they had that, that famous debate where like, he looks like he's sweating. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and, uh, Kennedy looks like a cool character and just trying to think about that and, and you know, like he, he wants attention, but attention is negative to him and just all these things that like really push pull for him. Like he really wants to be accepted and he, like he'll sell his soul to be accepted. But at the same time, he will resent all the motherfuckers that made him sell his soul and all that stuff. So yeah, there's all that kind of stuff that works back and forth. So that was the big thing I was focused on, though, were the way those TVs were used. I, I thought it was interesting, too. I mean, like, you know, when you think about it this being the translation of a play that's not something you could do on stage right mm-hmm. well not easily right you can't zoom into what's on these monitors or or focus people's attention even on them that much so i don't know i was kind of fascinated by by that particularly because to me it felt like a really interesting way to add some you know visual element to what is you know essentially a stage play but also thematically, yeah, it, it does kind of like raise all that stuff. And, and as well, just as, you know, his own damn paranoia that would lead him to record everything. <laughs> yeah. And that's what does him in is the recordings, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting for sure. And it added like a sort of a thematic layer to it that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that would be there in in just the play version of it. It's one of these things where I'm thinking about, and it's just like, yeah, like if you were trying to pitch this, it'd be tough to say. It's like, well, what what about this is a movie? You know, <laughs> like yeah. what about this is calling out to be filmed versus just seen on stage? And I think he kind of answered that in a really cool fashion by the, by that by the, the by the monitors you know the video monitors there mm-hmm. and just by all those like push-ins and things like that and even like seeing being in close and like having him walk out of frame like it, it does like it creates a feeling of um i mean there's moments of tension and then there, there's those moments of of like suspicion too where it's you don't know what to believe and you don't know what he believes even exactly. Um, Because, and I thought that was, that was interesting too. And that was something that they talked about a little bit in the, in the slow burn podcast where, you know, how do you get to a point as a nation where just in two years, this man has gone from winning the largest, you know, electoral victory in a presidential election I think ever or in you know 100 years or something point. like that yeah. when he beat McGovern yeah destroyed him had over like 70% of the goodwill of the nation to then everybody believing that he's a crook and he's wrong and it's like well but Nixon himself was a conspiracy theorist in a lot of ways yeah. you know um and that's what came out in these tapes and that's 
what really like by the end of this movie it was like oh this that's what's like coming out fast and furious and like talking about how the CIA, CIA told him that you know Bay of Pigs was gonna you know Cuba was gonna happen before his debate with Kennedy and everything and and how everybody like was pulling his strings and he just got caught up in all of this and he is their their victim and their scapegoat it's nuts I mean it, it's crazy it would be so interesting I wish I could see this on stage just to kind of like compare the two, you know, yeah. but, you, but with Philip Baker Hall, cause right. you gotta, you gotta have that. I had a real appreciation for what Altman was doing with this thing. I mean, I can't quite sit here and say that there's not parts of it that don't like, there's still like a weird sort of like TV made for TV thing about this movie to me, you know? And I don't know if it's just like the set, and aspect ratio, square mm-hmm. aspect ratio. You know, I don't know. I was just like, I was sitting there and I was like, you know, if this were like me as a 10-year-old watching our big-ass wooden TV, <laughs> veneer-finished <laughs> TV, and like my parents were just watching this at one night and I walked into the room like, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's like a TV movie. Okay, I'm going to check out. I'm going to go play with my toys or something, you know? Yeah. I don't know. There's still something about it that feels like that. Yeah, it? for sure. I mean, it definitely has that big, bright, flat lighting mm-hmm. Like, no room, no study in any house God, no. is that yeah. bright. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and he even darkens it later in the thing. I, I remember him, like, goes over and starts dimming the lights down. I'm like, yeah, it's a, it's really, really bright. Like, clearly you're in a studio. And, and I mean, was that was that a part of the point? Was he on TV? Was that why it was yeah. square? There's a moment early on where he sits down and he starts playing the Notre Dame fight song <laughs> on the piano. Right. And... Was it just me, or did he look directly in the camera while he was playing it? Oh, I don't know. I didn't pick up on that. No, I could have been. I, I could have been uh, mistaken. Well, I mean, he was taping the thing, so I mean, in some ways, that kind of would yeah. add to that feeling of of him recording it all. But regardless, yeah, for sure, it, it definitely feels of TV in a lot of ways. Except the best part is there are no commercials. Yay! Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that? That would have been weird. <laughs> Just yeah where would you have broken it like yeah after he like prays to his mom and says that he's a good dog and then there's go a to couple a moments commercial. i mean yeah. you could get some good tension out of i thought this was kind of interesting too is because like if this is one of those movies that breaks that rule of you know if there's a gun in the first act it's got to go off in the third yeah uh, not necessarily this one's loaded as hell and it's right there in the opening and uh he makes use of it but it never goes off and, yeah um, yeah I don't know. There were a couple of moments where he sets the gun back down on like that box or whatever. I'm like, that'd be a good commercial commercial spot, maybe. Yeah. It leaves <laughs> you wondering, cut. yeah, what's he yeah. gonna do? What's he gonna do? Which is stupid because you know Nixon didn't kill himself. So unless this is like really, right, <laughs> really going out. But there. I mean, think about how bold that is. I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> have a public figure who hasn't killed themselves kill themselves in a movie. Yeah, that would have been some uh, Tarantino style revisionist history there, probably. Yeah. There's so many things, again, like that get mentioned in here that are fascinating and interesting that required Google's assistance mm. for me anyway. And, for me too. you know, one of them that's mentioned over and over was this Bohemian Grove thing. And yeah. do you know anything about that, Craig? Uh, I know only a little bit that I have researched uh, that, and, and it was sort of featured in an episode of House of Cards. Oh, was it? Okay. Which I didn't really realize, sense. like, yeah. and when it was, I was like, "Oh, that's ridiculous." Um, <laughs> and and it turns out there is a gentleman's club called Bohemian Grove. But yeah, uh, please go, go on because it is well, pretty fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I would just say, like it. It sounds like a, an uber elitist um, or exclusive rather group of uh, male businessmen, government officials, etc., presidents that are allowed access to this place in Monte Rio, California. And, uh, yeah, it says, like, each year in mid-July, they host more than a two-week encampment of some of the most important men in the world. Wikipedia's got a picture with Reagan, Nixon, Jack Sparks. I don't know who he is, Edwin Pauly, others. Um, yeah, sitting outside at a checkerboard tablecloth table and a tree and probably talking about all the ways to fix the world, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been around since 1878, which is crazy. The way it's sort of referenced in this movie, it was all a part of 
this kind of chip on the shoulder that Nixon appears to have, at least this fictionalized version of sort of like the us and them and like him being the representative of the moral majority, the silent majority, rather, excuse me, of, you know, at one point he talks about the dog catchers and the, you know, uh, what was it, the plumbers and, and uh, you know, just like the working class and how he always spoke for them and not the damn snobs at Bohemian Grove, you know. Right. And a lot of that gets specifically tied to Kennedy. That was interesting, too, and it seems like, I don't know, especially watching it again this time, I, I really kind of picked up on the, it, it's almost as if in this movie, like, he's got a sort of love-hate thing with Kennedy and that mm-hmm. family entirely. You know, it's like they were four brothers. You know, Nixon, he had three brothers, two of whom died of tuberculosis, and obviously, you know, we know two of the Kennedys died. And it's one of those things that really stuck out to me this time at just how much he must have lived in the shadow of JFK and yeah. how, in some ways, like, I don't... I kind of don't blame him. I think like there's yeah. something, you know, humanistic and just human nature about that. Like, yeah, you you pitch a guy as your enemy when you're running against him and you lose and you're humiliated by, you know, your TV appearance. And then that guy gets killed <laughs> and yeah. in a horrible way and becomes a sort of like national icon. You know, what do you do with those sort of like old grudges that you had for this guy? Yeah, I mean, plus... Kennedy was just beloved. Yeah. He just seemed like this golden boy just mm-hmm. from the outset, you know? Yeah. Whereas certainly the, the Nixon in this in this story felt like he had to use dirty tricks. He felt like he had to scrape and fight for every single thing he got, and that's probably yeah. true. Yeah. And then it kind of feels like a Kennedy kind of waltzes in there, and everyone just looks at him and like, you're amazing. Like, your wife is so beautiful. Everything, like, mm-hmm. everyone's just in love with this story. And no one's no one felt that way about Nixon, no. you know? And so there's a part of me, why, you know, why can't I be that too, you know? There was that great line where he said something about like, what those East Coast pricks never understood was that I would be a winner because I was a loser. I had dreamed of failure every single night. <laughs> and like, yeah, you know, I mean, like I'm laughing because it's like darkly humorous in a way, but like you feel it. And like, especially in that performance by Philip Baker Hall, it's like, yeah, I mean, that's what he thought of. That's what he was, like, fighting up against his dad-hated politicians. He had a yeah. handsome brother who the girls always came easily to, and he had a scrape eye, and then he was, like, student body president and all these things. <laughs> like, that's how he found his way in. Right. And he would be king, like, you know, the used car salesman, the vinyl and shingles guy he talks about at one point. Um, those guys would be king. And, uh, you know, we're sitting here with the hindsight of history and it's easy to think I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have voted for that dude like there's no chance and yet sure. you hear him talk like that and it's like well but yeah but like 70% of the population did vote for this guy for re-election while yeah. Watergate was going on and that's the craziest part is like not only that I completely somehow slept through US history when we were talking about Spiro Agnew his first vice president who mm-hmm. left uh and resigned in disgrace because he'd been charged with tax evasion um yeah and bribery and extortion. I mean, that's crazy, right? Yeah. Well, that's the thing, though. I, f- I feel like all those crimes just, they just live in the shadow of Nixon resigning. I know. You know, <laughs> it's, it, it's so hard. Like, it, it, yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing. Like, that's huge. If that was the only thing that had happened, that's what we would probably be talking about. Like, a vice president was trying. Like, yeah. Uh, no, uh, no, because, yeah, Nixon Nixon's thing was so huge. And that's interesting, too, as it as it goes along where he talks about you know, resigning was part of avoiding anyone even finding out about the larger stuff yeah. that was happening, mm-hmm. which again is presented uh, a little bit like conspiracy theory. Yeah, for sure. As well, but oh, he throws uh, everybody under the bus by I mean, like Kissinger, everybody. Oh yeah, like the Committee of One Hundred, CIA, yeah. all that stuff, man. And it's just yeah, like you, you, this guy is just such an outsider. He yeah. just didn't have he didn't have control over anyone, and and really, I guess I guess the thing you get to. And maybe we're all kind of arriving at now is like your president isn't necessarily in control at all. Yeah. Like there are a lot of people who want to pull his strings and they'll figure out how right. to do it. Like I don't think that makes Trump special. I'll say that. I know. But I mean, and that was ultimately like what he says in this. I mean, that is a theory. Like I think the final theory kind of posited was that he uh, handed over the tape. He did. He when, you know, and I was thinking about mm-hmm. this recently, just when I was listening to that podcast, it's like, 
why didn't he just, I mean, he's on tape said, you know, they talked about it would take like a million dollars to get these guys to hush up, you know, the burglars mm-hmm. to not talk. And he said, I can get that in cash. We can get that on right. tape. Why wouldn't he destroy those, you know? I mean, that yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I'll buy into that whole conspiracy of it, that he's like basically sacrificing himself to, uh, to the benefit of everyone else. I mean, clearly he was wrong right. to be involved in any of that. But uh, that's the final theory that he, he posits here was that basically they wanted him to run for a third term to keep the wars going, to keep the money flowing, and that money was, that money was coming in from Asia to his reelection committee after he had been reelected. And they didn't want that money to stop flowing. That's why he handed over the tapes to take himself out to keep that bigger truth from coming out, you know, yeah. which I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's there's probably books that have been written all about those theories <laughs> and all this stuff. I mean, I don't even know how possible it would have been for him to run for a third term, obviously, hopefully not too yeah. possible. I mean, it's interesting stuff. It is. It really is. I mean, well, and, and I guess the other thing is there is that sense, there is that sense in my own head in general that, yeah, if a president resigns, how do I say that? If a president resigns, it's probably not because everyone's figured everything out and he has no choice but to resign. Right. Like, it's like everything, everything I feel like at that level of things is a strategic move. Mm-hmm. Like if, if everything was really blown up and like there was no strategy left because it was just t- taken care of, like it would be chaos. Yeah. It'd be every man for himself. There'd be no steady voiced resignation from the president you know what i mean oh yeah i watched the uh the resignation speech yeah it's pretty fascinating man because you know he's on his way out and he's basically saying it's time for the country to get on with its business and have this dumb shadow of watergate out of the public discussion and stop preventing the government from doing what it should be doing Nowhere in that speech does he mention that people wanted him to run for a third term. And so he didn't want to do that because that would just keep the corruption going as is. And that's why he's he's taken taken himself out to put a kink in their plans. So uh, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It's like um, I'm sure he had multiple opportunities. And obviously, I think uh, he sold his memoirs right after he left office for a very large sum of money. And was yeah. pardoned by Ford, although he talks about that in this movie, you know, just a little bit of how foolish it that is because it doesn't doesn't equate forgiveness, which would have right. been the real thing he was looking for. But it's interesting because I think some of those same concepts we're hearing right now, and again, I'm not trying to like completely get into Trump and Mueller and, and Russia and all that because who knows what will happen. Mm-hmm. But we have heard the idea that just let the man do his damn job. You know, yeah. this is a distraction. And like that is clearly what most of America thought in 72 when they voted overwhelmingly to reelect Nixon. I don't know. It, it's hard not to like watch this movie and, and think about it in current terms. And I, I kind of wonder if the audience did that in the 80s as well. With I'm not entirely sure of the dates on the Iran-Contra uh, scandal with Reagan. Right. You know, or if you're watching it in... What year was uh, Monica Lewinsky and uh, Bill Clinton's yeah. impeachment hearings? Or, you know, mid, mid to late 90s, yeah. Yeah, or during Bush and thinking of the Iraq War and, uh, and all that stuff. So I, I don't know. It's, it's just one of these movies that feels like it will always be relevant, sadly. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I, and I think, I think the one thing that is unique about this movie that right now is not necessarily um, needed quite as much is... I feel like it really presents Nixon as a human being. And I don't think maybe to that time people had really seen a, a representation of him like this. Yeah, I doubt it. That makes sense. I know there have been plenty of political cartoons and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, to to kind of sit with this and watch it and see the human side of somebody who's in this situation, who's under all this pressure, who came from this place, you know, even started out with good intentions... And ended up completely warped by the end of it. Mm-hmm. It's hard not to like really see that person as a human being. 
Whereas I feel like right now our president, for all his faults, which are so, so many, uh, I don't think you can. Yeah, I don't think you can think of him as not human. I think he is. It's almost too human. Like, whereas presidents before have usually been very controlled and they just say the right things and like all that stuff. This guy is 100% human in the worst way possible. So I don't know if we, yeah, initially need it, need that side of things. But yeah, watching this now with what's going on is, is, uh, is a singular experience. Us about this movie i mean any sort of little details that we haven't talked about that aren't political in nature necessarily or at least oh like yeah a big idea in nature or anything i did want to talk about the stuff about nixon and his mom yeah that yeah i had some questions about that too yeah i mean it really goes to the heart of of the the, the humanity mm-hmm. part of this uh uh story and and you know there's he he's so uh he's so subservient to his mom and and I think he he gets angry at her once, kind of, and then I think he just he begs her forgiveness and asks her what he should do. But one the one thing that really came out of it that that as far as I understand, this is true. Now, some at some point in the in the show here, he gets a his mom's Bible, just this enormous it's huge book, <laughs> huge, yeah. And he's going through it, and he finds like a handkerchief, I think, of hers, and and a letter that he had written to her. Where he wrote it to her and signed it, like, your good dog, Richard? Yeah. Something like that. And I, I wasn't able yet to, to find out more about that. But, I mean, it was, it seems like such a such an unusual, I mean, it seems like an unusual relationship, but honestly, probably not that unusual, you know, maybe for an older man who lost his mom a long time ago and he's been under tremendous pressure. <laughs> what were your readings or feelings on that whole thing? A, it made me think of Citizen Kane a little bit for some reason, mm-hmm. um, you know, just because of I watched the beginning of that not too long ago. And, you know, the mother is is really the one that pushes for him to be taken away. Yeah. You know, these men of power spend the rest of their lives trying to compensate for, for that. But in this yeah. instance, I, I, I thought the connection is interesting because and in some ways made sense to me emotionally just because you've got a family of five, I think. I don't know if there was any sisters perhaps nixon if only we could look this up somewhere i'm not going to do it um no never he mentions he had four you know there were four brothers and they lost two of them in tuberculosis and his dad always hated politicians and so i think well who else would he connect with and it i i can kind of understand that the mother would be the natural person in that particular familial uh environment for, for mm-hmm. Nixon to turn to, especially, I think, one of the other brothers, which he mentions in this movie, there's another slight film connection to the Nixon saga, and that is in the guise of, of Howard Hughes, who, if you've seen The Aviator, you know, he did make movies himself, yeah. as well as being completely crazy and uh, <laughs> rich and had a tool company all that. Nixon's brother took out a loan from Howard Hughes to start, he wanted to start a burger chain called Nixon Burgers or something. It took out like two oh, million right. bucks and it tanked. Or he, I don't even know if he ever got off the ground, but he didn't repay that loan. And so apparently that there is a longstanding theory that Howard Hughes may have really pushed for some of the, the you know, the Watergate stuff against Nixon and the pressure against him and had been contributing to his opponent's after that event because he <laughs> he didn't get his money oh, back wow. which sounds just crazy enough to be true right sure Why but not? anyway so we know that yeah like that brother probably not the pride of the family nixon had him wiretapped as well yeah maybe another brother as well but anyway i'm guessing that by default the mom yeah was probably the closest person <laughs> he had yeah. um through all of that the letter, like that story is kind of harrowing. I didn't quite understand it. No. There's something about running fully. in the field and falling on it. And, and am I wrong? Or was there was something, some mention of master, somebody calling someone master. Well, I, I thought he was calling her master. I thought he okay. was. Okay, yeah. So written as if he was a pet. Yeah. And I couldn't tell, Is that, I mean, would that have been like a way to relate to someone in, in a cute 
pet way or something like (laughs) you know like i I couldn't figure out if it was just like like oh we got issues here or if it's like oh well yeah in the 20s like i i don't know i mean it was certainly unusual but definitely underlined their relationship yeah again i think it just it like adds up in this at least an experience of the movie just to kind of define who he is Mm -hmm. i think maybe you could also lump her into the category of you know one of the people that he would want to defend his honor to you know and make his case to yeah yeah it'd be tough it would be tough to to go through that and wonder what your parents would think i mean can you imagine that you know Oh, Your absolutely. dad hates politicians, and then you turn out to be the most hated politician in America. <laughs> um, <laughs> dad was right. Dad was yeah. right. Dad was right. Yeah, I, I really like that scene. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I liked all the portraits. It was nice to have, mm-hmm. you know, these other presidents and figures sitting around him, and just like a visual reference and someone to talk to. Although I do wonder what the reality like. Is he really going to have a portrait of? <laughs> freaking Kissinger right. and Eisenhower hanging up in his uh, in his study there, in his personal study. Uh, I wondered about that. But, uh, you know, it made for some nice moments. So there were definitely a moment I remember where he was talking about being an un- unindicted conspirator uh, right in front of the portrait of Lincoln, which was nice. Oh, yeah. I also wanted to talk about, I mean, our, our ending is pretty powerful. It brings together all of our themes, I feel like. It does, All the things yes. we've talked about chip on your shoulder video monitors and swearing so what we have i mean obviously uh, nixon has ranted for close to 90 minutes and then uh all the tvs are well i guess it's not the tvs he, he's talking about all the east coast pricks and all the people that were aligned against him and everybody whoever like you know stopped him from doing what he wanted or, or treated him like crap mm-hmm. and he he just yells fuck him he raises his hand up in the air and says, fuck him. <laughs> good. And then, That's a good impression. And thank you. Uh, I'm working on my, my PBH impressions. Sweet. But then, and then we focus on the TVs. And, and now is when we really leave reality. Because mm-hmm. we go and focus on the TVs. And then we have Nixon say, fuck him again. And then on the next TV, on a second TV, he goes, fuck him again. It's the same, you know, it's the same exact moment. And then another TV, fuck him. And then on the next TV, fuck him. And he keeps yelling, fuck him. And we go to static. And you start hearing a chant, four more four years, more four years. more years. Four As he's saying, fuck him, fuck him, fuck him. And so it was kind of like, how did you feel about that? What, what, did that, what did that leave you with at the end of all this? I don't know. The four more years thing kind of complicates it a little, <laughs> a little yeah. bit. Because he's certainly in a position, and he's just said, like, there's no chance in hell he would, you know, he did not want to be president for a third term. And, like, it seems like at this point, would he do it again? No way, you know? Yeah. I didn't remember the four more years from the first time I watched it. But uh, this time, that stuck out to me more than than the other part. Yeah, I don't know. I think it just adds to that sort of, like, here is clearly a very conflicted man. You sure. Know, the guy that loved the glory of it, and he said in this thing, I love being president. You know, he talks about, like, having the phone to the Washington Redskins and calling in offensive plays with one hand and talking Cambodia with Kissinger or somebody in the other. <laughs> and I loved every minute of it. It's just like, yeah, okay, uh, that takes a special kind of person. But yeah, maybe it's just the agony and the ecstasy of being in that position and what he went through. Yeah. I don't know. That's probably reading too much into it. I don't know. It's just kind of a cool way to end this thing. <laughs> well, I don't know. It felt a little 80s to me a little bit in some weird way. Oh, it certainly, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, gloriously 80s. Let us let us right into the right into 1985. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, no. Yeah. But uh, my own read on that was just that, at least at the end of this rant, and he may do the same rant the next night. That's true. Yeah. But my feeling was that he felt in his mind he had proven his case. He had won. He was like fuck him, and then every and then he just had the world cheering for him. Yeah. But yeah, no matter what, really great stuff here. Anyone who is a Robert Altman fan who has not seen this or a Philip Baker Hall fan or a Nixon fan. Maybe you're a big Nixon fan. <laughs> if you're a big Nixon Check fan, it out. yeah. How did you not yeah. seen this by now? Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it seems like pretty required viewing. Yeah. Um, you'll be vindicated. Perhaps. Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. Craig, I have the results of the 19... It was 1985 Oscars, but you know, as we know, that was oh, yeah. the films of the year 1984. So Thank here's you. what I think happened. 
Amadeus picked up two nominations, right? So Tom Hulse and F. Murray Abraham, who won that year. Mm-hmm. And then you got Jeff Bridges for Starman. And I mean, you know, Jeff Bridges. Wait, is wait Jeff Bridges. what? Yeah, Starman. I didn't know that. I mean, I, I love either. that performance, but I had no idea that was an Oscar. Wow. Okay. You got Albert Finney for a movie called Under the Volcano. Sam Waterston sure. was the last one for The Killing Fields. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe they just ran out of room for Philip Baker Hall, but man, I, I think he could have. Just seems like a very Oscar y thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it still feels like, I mean, how do you have two leading actors from Amadeus? One of those should be supporting actor, right? Come on. Yeah. I would say so. But also this year, Pat Morito was nominated for The Karate Kid. So, you know, all was not, not too, too bad in the world. Right. Uh, anyway, that I think is the end of that. Certainly, it's an outstanding performance, regardless mm-hmm. of how many nominations he missed out on there i think your recommendation is right you got to be in a specific frame of mind probably to sit down and watch this movie i think it does help if you're an altman fan or a philip baker hall fan of course and uh yeah or just a history fan but i do think again it's worth seeking out craig i'm glad you suggested it and then i got to watch it again thank you sean i'm glad you accepted it and that i watched it also (laughs) I think it's also one that might be worth listening to the commentary. I checked in on it at the very, <laughs> very end of the movie, and just in time to hear Robert Altman say this, which was it was just something that we should all think about here. He said uh, he was explaining something, which I didn't catch the gist of, but then he said, "All this is just to say, you know, the, the point of all this is that great power. The great power of art is that it tells you things that the artist didn't know." And so I think that was his way of saying. Yeah, I've just spoken about this movie for an hour and a half. But, uh, you know, it's the stuff that I didn't know is more interesting. So how can you not love that? (laughs) That is cool. So that is Secret Honor. Seek it out. DVD. Filmstruck. It's out there. Uh, Craig, do you you have any last words of wisdom tonight? Yes, Sean. I just want to let you know it's been a a secret honor and a public shame hosting another show with you. (laughs) I hope we get to do it again. All right, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye.